Hello. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. As, uh, thank you. As Dave said, I am the youth pastor. My wife and I, Caitlin, we've been uh, leading this youth group for two years, uh, and it's literally been the time of our life. We love it. Um, going every single Sunday night um, just to, to talk to these kids and teach them a little about Jesus. If you have um, a, a student anywhere in our youth group, any age there, I just want to say thank you uh, so much for entrusting them with us for just a couple hours um, a week. We absolutely love it. We know that that is not a small thing. We know it's a big deal that you let us uh, pour into them. We know you guys are doing all the work at home, so thank you um, so much for that. Can you give yourself a round of applause? Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. And uh, most of the kids are really great kids, so. No, I'm just kidding. You're all, they're all great. Uh, but I am super excited um, to be speaking here today when I, I speak a lot at, at youth, and it's great, and it's a little bit smaller crowd, though. And, and when, when Dave said to me, he's like, you know what, I think, I think you should speak on a Sunday morning. My first thought was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Like, this is just older youth. It'd be fine. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, there's going to be a lot of people there. Like, there's usually about, you know, 50 or 60 youth kids. There's just a lot. I don't know what this number is, but it's a lot more than that. I mean, I kind of said it today, but I was like, I don't know. That's, that's a lot of people. I think do. He said, oh, no, don't worry about it. I've picked Memorial Day weekend because our attendance is usually really low, so you can do that one. <laughs> and um, at first, it sounded like a good thing, but the more I thought about it, I was like, Wow, thanks for that confidence boost, Dave. The, the weekend you asked me to preach is the, the lowest attended weekend of the year. Thanks. Um, but no, I am really excited. He didn't put it that way. I'm just kidding. So thank you, Dave, for asking me to speak. But um, we are continuing our series on the genius of Jesus. And I don't know if you've been here over the past few weeks, but this has been a great series where we get to unpack these parables. So we go through a parable each week, and it's these, these parables that Jesus taught um, everybody, the people in the Bible, and I've loved them. And today, um, I wanted to pick like a really hard parable just so I could sound like really uh, like Christian-y and everything, but I couldn't understand what it was. So I picked one. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it. It's called The Prodigal Son. Um, and this is arguably one of the most popular uh, parables that Jesus taught on. Um, but before we, we dive into it, I think it's important because a lot of times I feel like we maybe have heard this a million times, but we can miss things because we just feel like we know it. We feel like you're like, oh, I could preach that thing. But, but I want to dive deep. But before we do, I think it's going to be important to look at the context to see who Jesus was speaking to. So it says uh, before this parable started that Jesus was speaking to two groups of people. And first off, it said that he was speaking to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees uh, back in these times were like the religious leaders. So these religious leaders thought that they had it all together. They thought that they were better than everybody else because they knew the Bible better than everybody. They knew the rules. They followed them. So they felt entitled. So there's these Pharisees. But then on the other hand, you have these social outcasts. So people like the tax collectors who were just known to be thieves tax collectors, you had the prostitutes, and you had this group of people who was also there that Jesus was speaking to. Now, this is kind of unheard of because back in these days, these two groups of people did not get along very well. These two groups of people were not known to hang out together. Like, this was just a weird thing. And I think it's really important to see that because Jesus didn't just talk to talk. 
He didn't just say things just so you know, people could hear it. He was very intentional about who he was speaking to. And I think that's awesome with this parable because if you're here today, I, I think this can speak to any of us. Whether you've been a Christian your entire life or 20-some years and you grew up in the church and, and you just know this story, you could come up here and you could recite it for, from memory to us. Or whether this is your first time in a church and you've never heard this story. This might be new to you. You might have never heard of this. God can speak to you through this. And Jesus is speaking to these people back, back this time, the Pharisees um, and the tax collectors, and he can, he can speak to you today too. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I pray that you would take these words that I'm speaking and that you would just, would just take them and reach someone here. Whether they've been a Christian for a long time, whether they're not a Christian at all, I pray that you would just open our hearts today to learn something that you taught us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the parable starts off with um, this. It says, Jesus told him a story. It says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. So the son says pretty much, I wish you were dead. I want all of your money now. And um, I know some of your, some of your students here, um, and I know some of you parents, and this wouldn't go over very well with you if your teenager told you this, but this father agrees to this. Um, and what this would have meant for the father, you see, it was a little bit different um, back then in these times, but the money that this family had and the money that the father had would have been tied up in land and in servants and in cattle and in all this stuff. It wasn't just like a big bank account that he could just go and just say, okay, here's your portion. There's your money. Go ahead. He would actually have to go off. And this was his like living. He would have to sell off portions of this in order to get this son his share, but he does it. He gives it to him. And, and this son pretty much is saying that, you know what? I, I can do this better. I know that, you know, you've been a successful dad and that's great, but I can do this better. You see what the, what the younger son didn't realize is that he could have taken it easy. This guy was the son of a father who had tons of land, had tons of servants, had all this money. He could have just lounged back, sipping, you know, soda. We'll go with that. Sipping a soda, eating good food, and he would have to do nothing his entire life. But he thought that he had it better off. He thought that he knew. So it goes on to say here, in the next verse, in 14, it says, about, that time, about this time, the money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to, into his fields to feed the pigs. So he throws up an ad on Craigslist, uh, LinkedIn. He gets his profile all set up, and he finally gets this job feeding pigs. It says, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And then goes on to say, then finally he came to his senses, finally, and he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and I am here dying of hunger. So then I, I like this part because what it does is he does what every other you know, son in this situation would do, anyone that's kind of in trouble, he prepares a speech. And I imagine he's sitting there in the mirror like, okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to go back. I'm going to prepare the speech. I'm going to go to my dad. I'm going to recite it to him. It's going to be glorious. I might have to say it a couple times so he can understand. 
Uh, and he starts practicing this speech, and this is what he says. He says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So I think this is important to look at, that he did not feel worthy to even be called this father's son. And rightfully so. I mean, he took all this money because he thought he would you know, be better off. He thought he knew it, and he just spent all this money. I mean, how hard would it be to go back to your father after this and say, you know what, I, I screwed up. That's pretty hard. So this is what he plans to do, and he just, he just does not feel worthy. And one of the big, his biggest hindrance, and I think that for us a lot of times, our biggest hindrance of coming to have a relationship with Christ is because of shame. We look back and we say, you know, I, you don't know the things I've done, Jesus. You don't know the people I've hurt. You don't know where I've been, or maybe you don't know the things that I haven't done or the things I did do or whatever it is. And we feel like shame is keeping us away from having a relationship with Christ. And this is exactly how the younger son felt. And he goes on um, with this speech, and he said, so it says that he decides that, okay, I've got the speech practiced. Uh, I'm ready to go. So he returns home to his father. And in verse 20, it says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. I love this part. It says, while he was still a far way off. I'm sure that he was expecting to go back home, this long journey. I'm sure he was practicing the speech the whole time. He was expecting to have to go into this home, maybe search around, find his dad, um, make sure he was there. Maybe he was out at the market or whatever. He had to find his dad, and he was going to have to give him this speech. What he wasn't expecting is that the father was there looking for him. It says, while he was still laying off. This means the father never gave up, and the father still wanted to have a relationship with him. No matter the shame, no matter his worth and how he felt about that, the father was looking for him. It says, the father saw him coming. It says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son, or his son said to him, and here comes the speech. This is, he's been practicing it the whole way home. He's been practicing it in front of me. Here it comes. He says, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And here comes for the big ask, the big sales pitch. He's going to ask to be a, to be a servant. And this is the, the big cliffhanger if the, if the, son, if the father's going to take him back. So it says he, he's about to start the second part of his speech, and the father cuts him off. The father doesn't even let him finish the second part of his speech. It says, but the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So the party began. So he comes back, and the party begins. They throw a feast. And, and I think something that's really interesting that jumped out to me is that you, you have that first line that says, while he was still a long way off. This is when we first see the father and the son, their, their new uh, connection. And then this last line, you see, so the party began. Four verses. Four verses. So from the time that he comes home till the time that apparently he is on the dance floor at this party, four verses long. Now, I know a lot of you, and, and I, I'm a father as well, and I'm pretty sure that if this happened to me, 
it would take a lot more than four sentences of explaining for me to do in order to throw this kid a party. I mean, this is just outrageous. And we look at, we look at this, we're like, what is going on? And I'm sure the Pharisees uh, were thinking the same thing. And they're like, what? where is this guy going? That would never happen. But it says four verses, so the party began. So the party began. Who here, I, I'm used to like speaking to, uh, to youth and everything like that. So all you old people, um, and, and when I say old people, I mean like over the age of 30. So don't get offended. Anyone over the age of 30 is pretty much old to us. But who here has Instagram or Snapchat? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, a good amount of you. If you don't have it, you better get on it. I know everybody's against it and says it's from the devil, but everybody's there. Um, as long as you use it well, it's fine. But Instagram and Snapchat are super fun. Uh, you can actually post pictures of yourself. You can take pictures. You can use a picture. Um, and you can post these um, to your feed or to your story so everybody can see them. But recently, um, in, in, the, in the past couple of years, they've released something called filters. Now, filters has taken it to the next level. Um, I love filters. We use them all the time with my family. Uh, this is one of our filters of a picture we took the other day. Um, you can put these filters on, and what they do is they change your face. They, like, add ears or whatever. And this is my beautiful wife, my son. And this is us. This is another filter. This is the dog filter. For some reason, it didn't catch his tongue. He stuck his tongue out, but it didn't do that on him. And then this is probably my favorite. I don't know, like, hippie earring hat thing. But what these, these filters are super fun. They distort your face. They make you look better. They make you look worse. They take your voice, whatever. They're a filter that you drop on the picture and it affects the way that the picture comes out. Um, and these are great and, and these are awesome. Um, but looking at this story, um, I feel like a lot of times we treat our relationship with Christ and we treat coming back to the Father uh, with a filter on it. And we put this filter of shame over this. And we just think that, we look through and we see, I'm, this guy, God, he, the Father, he wants to have a relationship with me? That, that cannot be. There's no way. You don't know what I've done. And you, you use this filter of shame. And it, and it taints that relationship. And it taints the way that you feel like you, you are deserved. It taints your worth. And it makes you feel like there's no way he's going to want to have a relationship with me. And we throw this filter upon filter upon filter of shame. And I think a lot of times we look at coming to Jesus and having a relationship with Christ as like a 10-step program. And we feel like I need to make sure that I you know, do this step one. So I work on step one. And after I've been working on that for a little bit, um, then I can get to step two and I'll work on that and I'll make sure that's good and I'll three and four and on and on. And we feel like we have these 10 steps and when we finish step 10, then we are worthy. Then God's gonna wanna have a relationship with us. Then we can come back to him. You know, there's shame and shame and we have to, we have to get that shame off. We have to get those steps off. But that's not what it's saying. This, this story is saying the exact opposite. This story is saying, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do all this. God wants to have a relationship with you now, no matter what. It's not a 10-step process. It's, it's easy. It's one step. It's just admitting. You know, so the party began. 
I love that line. So the party began. I'm sure that is not uh, what the son was expecting. So the party began. And, and for a lot of us, um, I know we, we've heard this story a lot, and we're like, okay, great. Yeah, prodigal son. The prodigal son spends all the money, comes back, party began. Great, end of story. And that's like the memorable portion. But if we don't uh, go on to read the rest of it and we don't dive deep, I think we'll miss something. Uh, because there's a second son here. Um, you see, Jesus didn't name these parables. Like, I know we, like, have these names for them. Like, this one's the prodigal son. Uh, but we actually, after the fact, went and named them. Jesus was just telling these stories. And uh, if I'm being honest, I think we kind of messed up on it. If you look at the beginning of the story, it says there was a father with two sons. And a lot of times we just look at the one son because that's the name of the story, the prodigal son. But in fact, there was two sons here. Um, and it says here, it goes on after the party began. This is the next verse. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And it says, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? It says, your, the servant said, your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the party began. It says, but the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He said, or it says that his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all of these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you've told me to do. And in all that time, all those years, you've never given me one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? Like, seriously? I've been here. I've been doing all the work. And, and maybe you're here today, and you, you maybe don't relate to the, the prodigal son, to the younger son. You're like, you know what? I, I get this idea of grace. I get that, that Jesus wants that relationship with me, and I get that. I've accepted forgiveness and we take that and we think, okay, this is the story. And I've already learned what the story has for me, so I don't have to pay attention to it anymore. But maybe, maybe you're here and you can relate better to this older son. Maybe you've had a relationship with Christ ever since you grew up. Maybe you grew up in a Christian family. Maybe whatever it is, you've been a Christian for years and you feel like, you know what? I've done everything right I go to church every Sunday. I serve on the setup and teardown team. I, I give uh, to the offering when it comes around. I help others when there's old ladies. I, I help them across the road. Like, I've, I've done this. And maybe you find yourself in, in a hard time in life. You find yourself, you know, thinking, what's going on with my job? What's going on with my finance or my marriage? Or maybe you've had a loss or maybe there's a health issue. And you find yourself saying, hello. God, are you still up there? Like, remember me? I know, I know you're here for the prodigal sons and everything, but remember me? I've been here this whole time. I've been doing everything right. What about me? Have you forgotten me? And we sit here and think like, man, is he still around? Is he still thinking this? And we can relate to this, this older son. Um, more than I, than I would like to admit, I personally have been relating to this older son a lot more than, than I ever have before, I think. Um, 
Like I said, I have a beautiful wife of five years, and we uh, last year had our first son, Rowan, uh, in the pictures, uh, and he is amazing. We are super excited to have him. I mean, some of you know the story, but for those of you who don't, um, when he was born, there was just some stuff going on uh, with his body, some stuff going on with his blood, and he got rushed into the uh, NICU. We had to take him to a different hospital, rushed into a NICU, and we sat there uh, for what seemed like 10 years, but it was a month. And we sat there and we had specialists after specialists come in and try to find out what was going on with them and try to figure out what was wrong. And we just saw all these people. Um, and after a month of being there, we had no answers, none. So then we got released and we saw some more specialists. And finally, we got referred uh, to St. Jude here in Peoria, uh, where he was diagnosed with leukemia. And this uh, process rocked me. It rocked me, and um, over, the, over this period of time, I found myself saying, you know, God, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, I, like, literally do this for a living. You'd think that I've done enough steps. Why is this happening to me? Why are you seeming like you're not there? Why are you forgetting me? And like, hello, I've got a sick son here. What is going on? And, and I found myself just with this attitude of doubt and this attitude of, what about me? Where are you at? Um, I'd like to tell you that, that um, things got better and that, and that everything is great and we figured it out, but that's not the way it's happened. Um, even today, we still are seeing specialists and we still have no answers um, and we still don't know exactly what's going on. And this is exactly what we find in the story too. It doesn't say that, the, the older son was like, you know what? You're right. Let me come in. It doesn't resolve it. It doesn't, it doesn't come to a point um, where it doesn't come to a point where we're like, okay, I understand the story. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're in a time where you don't understand what's going on. You don't understand why God is doing this. And I'm there with you. But what I have found through this situation and through this process that we've been going through is that God is with you and he is using you and he is there for you even when you don't feel it. It's not about what you can do or it's not about the rules. It's not about all the things about going to church, about making sure you pray seven times a day. It's not about that. No matter what, even if you can't necessarily feel God at these certain moments, you feel like he has just abandoned you. He is there, and he loves you, and he wants to come after you. You see, both sons had the same problem, and this problem was the problem um, of worth. Both sons had the same problem of worth. You see, the, the prodigal son, the first one, um, he just said he didn't even feel worthy to be called your son anymore. He didn't even feel worthy to be the son because of the things that he had done. And, and if you take a, a, um, a closer look at this, at this story of the older son, I think there's an interesting part in there that we lose a lot of times. It says that the older son was out working in the fields. Now, for years I overlooked this part, didn't think anything of it, but if you think about it, this family was a wealthy family. This family, it says, they had servants. They had servants, they had land, they had cattle, they had all this money. That son did not have to be out in the fields working. That son 
could have easily been in the house, could have easily been just chilling, sipping his Coke. He could have been hanging back, eating the food, doing nothing, but it says that he is out there working in the fields. You see, what this son was trying to do was gain his worth. Both sons had an issue of worth. The reason why they had this issue is because they looked at the father and they looked at the relationship with the father through this lens of worth. And they thought that you are a son and a daughter based off of worth. You're not. You are a son and you are a daughter based off of birth. You don't become a son because you're worthy. You become a son because you were birthed. You see, Jesus says that all you have to do is come to him and say, God, I wanna follow you. Jesus, I wanna follow. I know you've died for my sins. I know you died on that cross and I wanna have that relationship with you. That's all it takes. It says you were reborn right there when you say that. It's not based off of worth. It's not based off of anything you can do. It's based off of who your father is. Uh, one last question I'd like to ask you, and um, I asked our youth students this um, a couple weeks ago, but have you ever been pooped on? So until nine months ago, 10 months ago, my answer would have been no, um, luckily. Uh, but with a, with a newborn baby, I get pooped on all the time. So that's just on my mind. Uh, um, but the other day, we were there and, and it was kind of early or late morning and we were just kind of lounging around and, and I, obviously Rowan wakes up at like the crack of dawns ready to go for the day and Caitlin and I were like, this is our day to sleep in. So, so, you know, he's just babbling along. So we bring him on into bed and, and I go and I, I kind of start playing with him. We start getting ready. Um, and then the smell comes, you know, the smell. And I'm like, well, I think I know what happened here. Um, and I walk out of the room to kind of prepare, um, get some diapers, and I walk back in, and, and Caitlin's holding, you know, his waist, and he's standing there, and he looks at me and just huge just smile on his face and just raises his hands. And it's just like, oh, man. He just wanted me to pick him up. He was so excited to come to me. And you know, as a father, um, before that, I was kind of like, this is going to be disgusting. I am, I am tired here and I'm going to change this diaper. But as soon as that happened, when he raised his hands and he just had that smile on his face, I just wanted to pick him up. You see, I feel like a lot of times, uh, whether you are the prodigal son, whether you can relate to him, whether you can relate to the older son, we feel like we have to clean ourselves up before we can raise our hands and have God accept us. We feel like we have to clean the poop off our butt. We feel like we have to get our stuff together. We feel like we have to get our act together before God can receive us, before we are worthy. But man, that is the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying here. You don't have to clean yourself up to lift your arms to God. You don't have to have it all together to say, you know what, God, I want to have that relationship with you. So we're going to sing this song that we started with. Um, and there's the line in the song that says, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is here for everybody. And I'd like you to stand with us um, as we go into this song. Um, and I'd like you to really think of that. Think of those words. 
I want you to think about what type of son you are, I think, or daughter, what type of son or daughter you are, and just think, God, am I, am I looking through a filter of shame? Am I basing my relationship with you based off of worth, or am I basing my relationship with you just because you're my dad? So sing this with us.
to the older son, but don't wait. You know, this should be uh, an encouragement to us. The story ends like this. It says, his father looked at the older son after he says all this stuff, like, what, what about me? He looks at the son and he says, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So whether you're the younger son, whether you're the older son, everything that Jesus has in a relationship, everything that God has, that, that father relationship that he wants to have with you, everything is yours, no matter who you are. So go on this weekend, uh, enjoy your weekend, enjoy your time off. Uh, thank you for being here, but know that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Thanks, guys. You're dismissed.